Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 10, we read, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. A teenager gets injured in a car accident because he didn't clip his seatbelt. A police officer is killed in the line of duty because he chose not to wear the bulletproof vest that had been issued to him for protection. A whitewater rafter falls into the water, hits his head on a rock and drowns because he wasn't wearing his helmet. We've all heard of these kinds of tragic stories. If the injured person had just used the safety gear that they were issued, they would have walked away from the danger unscathed. But you see, just possessing protective equipment doesn't make a person safe. You've got to put it on. Last week, we started a series of messages in Ephesians that we entitled, The Unseen War. You see, the Christian life is not a playground, it's a battleground. We live in the midst of a lethal conflict. We're part of a battle. You and I live behind enemy lines. We live and move in a world manipulated by Satan and his demons, cut off from the light of Jesus. And when our lives start shining God's light, you can bet the devil fights back. He tries to rob us of our blessings. He wants to snuff out our light and witness. And he has a bag full of tricks and schemes he uses against us. In verse 11, Paul calls them the wiles of the devil. And yet God has not left his people defenseless in this unseen world. He has equipped us with a full wardrobe of protective gear designed specifically for Satan's assaults. Paul refers to it as the armor of God. You know, several years ago, Nike started producing special uniforms for college football teams. They called them combat uniforms. And they were designed to be colorful and edgy and cool and appeal to college-age students. The only problem with these uniforms is they didn't help the team play any better. The dogs wore the silly things once in a dreadful loss to Boise State. They put them on the shelf, and I don't think they've worn them since. But realize you won't have this problem with God's combat uniform. For God's armor is made for performance. His armor is all about victory and holiness. Stop just looking cool. Strap it on, and you become invincible. The armor of God is made of supernatural steel that's been hammered out on the anvils of heaven. 
This special armor is held together by divine rivets. God's combat unis are created according to spiritual specs, and it's perfectly suited for the devil's devices. Here's the only catch. You've got to suit up. You've got to put it on. This is why Paul tells us in verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. You see, the armor of God does you and I absolutely no good hanging in our closet or left in the pages of Scripture. you got to suit up. you got to strap it on. Did you know 20,000 Americans die every year who would still be alive if they had just buckled their seatbelt? And who knows how many folks with shipwrecked faith would still be growing and vibrant Christians if they had just put on the armor of God. Hey, when it comes to God's armor, don't leave home without it. Last week, we talked about our adversary in this spiritual battle. This week, we want to discuss our armor. And notice verse 11. Notice first, Paul instructs us to put on the whole armor of God. Each piece of this spiritual armor is vital. Neglect one section, one piece, and you leave yourself vulnerable. See, if Satan spots a chink in your armor, he'll know exactly where to aim his attack. Put on the whole armor. In medieval times, the night before a squire was knighted, he would spread out his pieces of armor on the altar. And then he would pray until morning light, offering up his soul to God. Well, this morning, we're going to act similarly. We're going to spread out the pieces of our armor. And we're going to rededicate our souls to God. It's time for you and I to begin winning victories for Jesus. Well, one last point of introduction. Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians while he was a prisoner in a Roman jail. It's probable that he was actually chained to a Roman soldier. At the very least, there were legionnaires coming and going around him who were wearing this armor. And this is why Paul writes, as he writes of our spiritual armor, he compares it to the armor one worn by the Roman military. And it created a vivid picture in the minds of the Ephesians, and I hope it creates a great picture for us. Well, notice the first piece of armor he mentions is the belt of truth. The Roman soldier's belt was a wide, thick leather strap that he wrapped around his waist. Flaps on the front of the belt protected his abdominal area. The belt was sort of the hub of his protection. His sword, various pouches, that included his flask or his canteen, even his shield hung from his belt. And when a soldier readied himself for combat, he would gird his belt. He would tighten up his belt a few notches. This drew his sword in toward his side. This locked in his breastplate into place. It was like a football helmet player buckling his chin strap. Girded meant that a soldier was now ready for action. You know, in ancient times, people viewed their loins as the seat of their emotions. And it's a natural association, is it not? I mean, even today, when I get nervous or scared or excited, guess where I feel it first? In my stomach. My bowels start to churn. Even today, we make this association, we speak of gut feeling, or intestinal fortitude, or a stomach full of butterflies. And one of the ways that Satan likes to keep us ill-prepared for battle 
is to toy with our emotions. You see, the devil will play pinball with your hormones. He'll exploit your sensitivities. He'll run with your insecurities. He moves in the realm of feeling. And in doing so, Satan can keep us spiritually paralyzed and defeated. You see, all humans are prone to get trapped on the emotional roller coaster from time to time. Do you ever get emotional? Of course you do. Over the course of her lifetime, a female will experience all kinds of, she'll go through all kinds of phases. She'll be pre-puberty and pre-menstrual and pregnant and postpartum and premenopausal and menopausal, etc., etc., etc. And it seems to me there's a syndrome attached to each phase. I mean, every stage of a woman's life is emotionally charged, is it not? And men get emotional too. Yes, they do. Stressed out, overworked, pressure-packed, anxiety-filled jobs play on our emotions. It seems everyone these days lives on the edge. I mean, have you ever gone home from church on Sunday feeling so excited, ready to serve the Lord, only to wake up on Monday in a funk? How did that happen? Suddenly you're feeling depressed. I'll tell you how it happens. Satan can manipulate our emotions. He wants to get us to base our faith on our feelings. Here's what he'll suggest. Oh, if you were really a Christian, you'd be joyous and jubilant all of the time. You'd never get down. Oh, hey, maybe you're not a Christian after all. You see, Satan wants you to gauge your spiritual position on your emotional disposition. Don't fall for that trap. If you do, the wildest ride at Six Flags will be tame compared to the habit Satan will play on your spiritual life. When our faith is based on our feelings, when our devotion is tied to emotion, doubt takes over. I mean, you're going to be up and down, in and out, right and left. Oh, you might still be headed down the straight and narrow, but you're liable to be all over the road. A believer in Jesus gets a grip on his or her emotions by tightening up a couple of notches on the belt of truth. It's the truth of God's Word. It's the assurance of His promise. It's my resolve to trust in the Lord's Word regardless. That's what guards my emotions from all this satanic camping. The first lesson that every believer needs to learn is that our faith should be based on fact, not feeling. Hey, I'm not a Christian because I feel like one. <laughs> sometimes I do. Quite frankly, sometimes I don't. But I'm a Christian because God promised me in His Word that the day I asked Him to save me, He would. He did. And I trust Him. And though my feelings may change, the facts never do. It's been said the devil lives in the realm of feeling, but Christians should live in the realm of fact. Listen carefully to one of my favorite poems. You need to listen carefully. Catch this. Three men were walking on a wall, feeling faith and fact. When feeling took an awful fall, then faith was taken back. So close was faith to feeling that he stumbled and fell too. But fact remained and pulled faith back, and faith brought feeling too. You see, when a Christian bases his faith on the facts, the 
truth of God's word, then he, he then his or her feelings will follow. Love and joy and peace will flow out of trust, the trust that you put in the work of Jesus and our confidence in God's word. But base your faith on feelings and doubt, anxieties will creep in. See, in your mind right now, I challenge you, in your mind, would you please grab the belt of truth? Would you trust Jesus that He loves you and that He accepts you and He forgives you and He'll remain faithful to you forever, just like He said He would? Will you take that truth and buckle that truth over any sadness or fear or worry you feel this morning? Strap on the belt of truth. In fact, pull that truth to yourself a little tighter. Knock it up a bit. Choose today to live your life and base your faith on what God has said about you, not how you feel. Well, the second piece of armor that Paul mentions to the Ephesians is the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate was made of either metal or tough leather. It covered the soldier from the neck down to his waist. The breastplate was attached to the belt, and it protected the most vital of all human organs, the heart. But just as the abdomen was viewed as the seat of the emotions, the heart was the home for the desires. We use this expression today when, we, when someone sings from their heart or plays a sport with all their heart or puts their heart into their work. We're saying that they're being motivated by an intense desire. And when you become a Christian, the Bible says that spiritually speaking, God performs a heart transplant in you. He gives you a new heart, a new set of desires. Now that I'm a follower of Jesus, there are a lot of activities I suddenly want to do that didn't appeal to me before. There are also some activities I no longer want to participate in that I used to do regularly. Jesus transforms my heart or my desires. You could say, Jesus changes my want-tos. Spiritual desires replace selfish desires. Godly urges replace greedy urges. The glory of God becomes my chief ambition. In Christ, I get a new set of wants. And yet, as I said last week, Satan doesn't play by the rules, does he? He doesn't respect or even acknowledge our new desires. He certainly doesn't support them. In fact, his strategy is to tempt us with those old desires, inflame the old passions, reactivate those latent lusts. Oh, he'll send some old buddies over to your house with a cold six-pack. And you're thirsty. Or he'll have your former boyfriend Facebook you a message. Or out of nowhere, an opportunity arises for you to make big bucks. Hey, Satan does whatever he can to revive your carnal cravings, to lure your heart away from God. He wants you to slide back into the sin from which you escaped. It's been said, free cheese is always available in mouse traps. <laughs> it is. Satan makes temptation oh so well, how do I resist the bait, the free cheese, that dangling carrot? Well, there's only one way, and that is by protecting my heart, my desires with this breastplate. Remember, the 
breastplate is attached to the belt of truth. And Jesus says it's the truth that sets us free. To put on the breastplate of righteousness is to believe the Bible truth that I am not the person I used to be. That in Christ I have a whole new identity. The old person I once was, that old nature died on the cross with Jesus. And now through his resurrection power, I'm a new man with a new nature and new desires. Believe that by God's grace, you're now something clean and pure and forgiven and empowered and eternal and even useful for the Master's purposes. That's how He sees you. Right now, strap on the breastplate. Suit up. Put on new desires. Put on God's righteousness, not your own. I love this story about the great church father, Augustine. He wasn't always a great church father. In fact, before he became a Christian, Augustine was a real party animal. He had a mistress. He was shacking up with a gal for a while. Had a child out of wedlock. Shortly after his conversion, he was walking down the street one day when his former girlfriend saw him. She came running towards him. Augustine, it is I. It is I, she shouted. I like how Augustine responded. He took off in the opposite direction, shouting, But it is not I. It is not I. You see, those old desires can betray you. Hey, the old desires no longer feel right when you really see yourself as right with God. You know, often the legionnaire's breastplate bore the insignia of Rome. He wore the Roman crest over his heart, literally. It was a badge of honor. The soldier was proud to have been chosen to protect protect history's greatest empire. And while wearing that breastplate, he avoided anything that might disgrace the cause for which it stood. And likewise, how can we entertain a thought or harbor a desire contrary to the cause of Christ when the breastplate of His righteousness sits over our Let's do nothing that will bring shame to His name. And then notice, too, the soldier's sandals of peace. Understand, we're not talking flip-flops here. These were battle cleats. These were leggings fit for the rigors of combat. These were an infantryman's war sandals. These sandals were half boots made of leather straps. They had an open toe, and they laced up your shins. The soles of the shoes were studded with hobnails that provided traction on slippery surfaces. In the words of Larry Munson, they would kick you in a hobnail boot. Thought there were more Georgia fans out there than that. But these sandals, they work like baseball cleats. They enable the soldier to sort of dig in and stand his ground. The spikes on the soles of his shoes provided him stability. You see, when you're engaged in hand-to-hand combat, Footing is strategic. For if the enemy can trip you up or knock you off balance, then you're a sitting duck. And the same is true in this unseen war. You see, Satan tries to knock the props out from under our faith. Bump us off balance, trip us up, just confuse us for just enough time so that while we're stumbling, while we're trying to right ourselves, he can come in and stag us, stab us with his deadly dagger. See, here's how all this works. You're cruising along in your Christian life. You're doing great. Until someone comes up 
and asks you a hypothetical question to which you lack an answer. Hey, man, well, how about all those pygmies in Africa who die and never get a chance to hear the gospel? What happens to them? Is God going to judge them? And then you start thinking, wow, what happens to those pygmies? I never thought of that. The question throws you for a loop. And the frustration you feel not having the answer at that moment, it grows into doubt and into confusion. And in that moment, your faith begins to falter. You start to stumble. And that allows Satan to to come in and slip in as well. Here's another unsettling scenario. Rather than a question you can't answer, perhaps it's a situation you can't explain. A good person you know suffers. A guilty man walks and gets off scot-free. And you pray for a reason. Lord, why did this happen? Yet the heavens remain silent. How could God allow such a terrible, terrible thing to happen? And you begin to ask yourself that question. And over time, you start to doubt God's goodness and His fairness and His grace. And in that season of doubt, once again, Satan slips in and he causes mayhem. This is how he hijacks our faith. Well, you see, how do you keep your footing when you're forced to walk through dark places, down lonely, confusing paths? Here's how you do it. You need your feet shod with the peace of God. God's peace acts like a pair of cleats. It keeps you balanced. It holds you in place. When you start to stumble or make a sharp turn, it's the peace of God that keeps you steady. It keeps you locked in. It keeps your faith on target. You see, when God's peace is real and tangible in my heart, I don't need an answer at that moment. I don't need an explanation right away. The peace of God provides me the stability that I need in the face of events I can't explain and questions I can't answer. You see, a soldier in combat, he goes through these things, and he needs a certain peace in his heart. I once heard of a soldier on the front lines. He was getting all these letters from his wife. They were depressing letters. I mean, here he is out fighting a battle. He's on the front lines of a war, and all his wife can do is send him letters full of petty complaints. I mean, this man needs his wife's encouragement, but all she's providing him are itemized lists of her grievances. Finally, the husband, he wrote his wife back, and in his letter he pleaded, he said, Please, honey, stop the nagging. Let me enjoy this war in peace. Well, if you strap on God's promises, then you'll know peace even in the midst of a battle. I mean, how else can you explain Paul and Silas in that Philippi jail? Their backs are beaten into bloody ribbons. They're hanging from the stocks in this cold, damp prison. Rats are nibbling at their toes. Bugs are crawling all over their bodies. And all they're guilty of is preaching the gospel. Now imagine their complaints. And yet that's not what we read. Acts 16 reads, At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. How can that be? How can you be in such agony and yet still be praising God? There's only one answer. These men were wearing the sandals of the gospel of peace. They had the peace of God, the supernatural peace of God. 
John Corson is the pastor of Applegate Christian Fellowship in Oregon. John lost his daughter to a fatal automobile accident, and at her memorial service, John testified of the tremendous peace that God had given him. He said that when he trusted God, an amazing peace ruled his heart. But when he tried to make sense of his daughter's death, God's peace would vanish. Suddenly it dawned on John. The Bible calls God's peace the peace that passes all understanding. You see, in his search for understanding, he sacrificed God's peace. John realized that there are times when you can't have both. Understanding and peace don't always ride in tandem. Sometimes you have to choose between them. Do you want understanding or do you want God's peace? And of course, John chose God's peace. You see, when life stirs up the pot, when there seems to be no answer or explanation for what's happened, let the supernatural peace of God bubble up from within and comfort your troubled heart. Despite your ignorance or your distress, hold on to God's peace, and you can rejoice in Christ. You see, the answers you need will come in due time, but in the meantime, remember this. What's over my head is still under God's feet. Amen. As Blaise Pascal once said, the heart has reasons that the reason knows nothing about. Suit yourself up with the standards of peace. And then notice another piece of the armor. He says, above all, taking the shield of faith. See, the Roman soldier carried a shield that was maybe four foot high by two and a half feet wide. It was made of brass and covered with multi-layers of leather. And before a soldier went into battle, he would soak this shield in water. The wet leather would extinguish the flaming arrows that were shot by the enemy. After the battle, often the shield looked like a porcupine a leather pelt covered with quills or arrows. It was common practice in ancient warfare to dip your arrows in tar and set them on fire. And so the archers would line up side by side and they would shoot a barrage of arrows at the enemy. And when this flurry of arrows were launched, the shield was large enough for a soldier to place it on the ground and then crouch his whole body underneath it. It was whole body protection for him. This explains Paul's use of the phrase, and above all, taking the shield of faith. The shield complemented all the other pieces of armor. It provided an overall protection. And this is comforting for us in the spiritual battle that we face. For Satan doesn't always just fight with single thrust, does he? There are times when he and his demons launch from all directions. You ever had those days? Where I meet a whole volley of flaming arrows land at the same time. Satan's fiery darts might include a simultaneous attack of anger and then doubt and then jealousy and lust and arrogance and bitterness. And for the moment, there's nowhere to run. There's nothing you can do. But when you're under such heavy attack, here's what you do. You crouch underneath that shield of faith. You trust God and wait on Him. 1 John 5, verse 4 tells us, This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Don't get caught off guard. Keep the shield of faith nearby at all times. And you know, there's one more interesting feature of the Roman shield that I should mention. These shields were gangable. Their edges were made to interlock with other shields. 
so that when a barrage of fiery arrows came falling from the sky, a Roman soldier was trained to turn to his buddy next to him and link his shield with their shield. Multiple shields formed sort of a massive metal roof over the top of the battalion. The shield was a constant reminder that soldiers were better protected when they fought side by side. And how we need that same reminder in the spiritual battle that we face. Hey, make sure you're fighting alongside other believers, for we are stronger together than we are apart. We want to link our lives with one another, and we get strength. And then there's one final piece of armor here. It's the helmet of salvation. You know, the Roman helmet had to be strong enough to withstand the blow of a hammer or a battle axe. In the front of the helmet, it covered the forehead. On the sides, there were plates that came over the cheeks. In the back, the helmet extended down beyond the collar that protected, so it protected the shoulder's neck. And then for comfort and cushion, it was lined with a sponge. It sort of acted like a shock absorber. The Roman helmet was very similar to a modern-day football helmet. And what football player would venture onto the field without a helmet? There are guys who've lost their helmet in the middle of a play and risk danger, but you'd be a nut to go onto a football field without first strapping on a helmet. Likewise, no soldier would ever go to battle without his helmet. You see, without a helmet, his chances of survival were slim to none. A helmetless soldier was hopeless. In essence, this is what a helmet provided. It provided hope. For even if a soldier made a mistake, even if he stumbled and suffered a blow, he might still survive because he was wearing that helmet. And this is what the helmet of salvation provides for you and me. Spiritual hope. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 8 tells us, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Did you know that as Christians we have a bright future? Did you know that? Oh, we look at the world around us, the mess that it's in, and we say, oh, my. And we worry and we wonder. But you have a bright future. Untold treasures and pleasures await you and I. In this life and in heaven to come, we have great hope. But we need to keep our hope in mind, and we need to keep our minds on hope. We do this by putting on the helmet of salvation. Every choice we make, every decision, every consideration should be filtered through the grid of our salvation. As a child of God, is this fitting? Given my destiny, is this really appropriate? That's how we should think. I read of a dad who took his little boy down to the pet store to purchase a puppy. Well, the little boy took one look at the litter of new puppies he told his dad he wanted the pup who was wagging his tail. So his daddy asked why. And he replied, Dad, I want the one with the happy ending. One day, every trial begun on this earth will finish with a happy ending. That is, if you know God, if you're called according to His purpose, we'll all be wagging our tails in the end. The problem, though, is is that we need to remember our future in the midst of our present. In essence, we need to stay hopeful. Right now, you might be dragging rather than wagging. 
We're in the process of enduring the trial, not celebrating the victory. But that celebration will come, and you need to keep your eyes on the victory. Today we're sowing seeds, but in the end we'll reap the harvest. This is why we need to strap on the helmet of salvation and of hope. Refuse to take it off. To endure our temporal trials, we need an eternal perspective. You see, Satan is the author of these negative attitudes and cynical assumptions. He would love to lodge negative thoughts in your mind, turn you into a sour, bitter, angry person. But the devil can't do that if you're wearing God's helmet. And if your focus is fixed on your salvation, you can't get down for long. You know, evil thoughts are considered Satan's fiery darts. Has this ever happened to you? Just out of the blue, an evil thought flashes across your mind? I mean, like a lightning bolt. Has this ever happened to you? Am I the only one? I mean, you might even be sitting in church among God's people when suddenly a shameful, perverted, embarrassing thought runs through your brain. You think, where in the world did that come from? My, Pastor Sandy's not that ugly. What am I thinking? Well, I'll tell you where it came from, from the enemy. You know, Martin Luther compared these evil thoughts to birds in the sky. He, he said, you can't keep them from flying over your head, but you can keep them from nesting in your head. Hey, the devil can send an evil thought across the screen of my mind, but I don't have to dwell on it. I can send it on as fast as it came. I can put on the helmet of salvation and redirect my thoughts. Philippians 4, verse 8, Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, Meditate on these things. You strap on the helmet of salvation, this helmet of hope, when you choose to retrain your mind to think God's thoughts and dwell on life from His perspective. The Black College Fund has a motto. A mind is a terrible thing to waste. And God has the same slogan. Put on the helmet and think in light of God's Word. Well, in conclusion, Notice the one part of the body that's not protected by any armor. The answer is our back. It's our back. For one, we need to have each other's back. He's called us together as the family of God. We need to watch out for each other's back. But I think another reason God provides no armor for the rear is that He has no plans for our retreat. He has called us to resist the devil, not tuck tail and run. Take note of it. Three times in Ephesians 6, Paul says to stand against the devil. I love the motto of the French Foreign Legion. It's almost biblical. It reads, If I falter, push me on. If I stumble, pick me up. If I retreat, shoot me. Always remember God has no armor for the backside. For James 4 verse 7 tells us, Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You know, when I played football in high school, the first few days of practice were always in shorts and cleats. The coaches would put us through a week or so of conditioning. 
we'd run a few plays, catch a pass or two, get our legs under us. But everyone knew that in a few days it all would change. I mean, you could be a superstar in shorts and cleats. Or you could get the impression that football was all fun and frolic. But everyone knew it wasn't really football until the pads came on and until the hitting started. And the same is true in the Christian life. Oh, when you're first saved, it's like shorts and cleats. Oh, you're just jogging around feeling great. The new life in Christ is a breeze. But I'm warning you, there's an unseen war. There's a spiritual battle. And it won't be long before the hidden starts. That great philosopher, Mike Tyson, once said, Everybody's got a plan until you get punched. What are you going to do when you get punched? When the hitting starts. Hey, I'll tell you what you need to do. You need some pads. You need some protection. And here's the good news. God has issued us all of the equipment that we'll ever need. Not just under armor, but the whole armor of God is ours. Put on that belt of truth. Guard your feelings with the truth of God's Word. Latch on that breastplate of righteousness. Watch over your desires. Cultivate those new desires that are yours in Christ. Put on those sandals of peace. Lace them up. Choose God's peace. It'll take you further than you can understand. And then hide behind that shield of faith when you need to. Above all, have faith. Put on a helmet of salvation. Think pure thoughts. See your life today in light of God's Word. You see, don't leave your spiritual protection hanging in your locker. Suit up. Strap it on. Put on the armor of God. It's time that you and I lived in victory, not defeat. Let's put on the armor of God. And let's do it today.